Hey, everybody, on today's episode of the Friday Rigger NFL Show, Warren Sharp and I recap the surprisingly exciting Chargers Raiders game. We talk about how you might try and make some money looking at late line moves, and we're breaking down, as we always do, the best matchups of the week. Spoiler, we're looking at some road dogs. Beautiful marquee matchup this week between the Saints and the Chiefs. Most importantly, we're out here trying to help you win some money, telling you how you might wager. Please stick around. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ringer NFL show. I'm Warren Sharp. It's Friday. I'm joined by Joe House. We are recording this minutes after the game. And my friend, what the fuck, Anthony Lynn? I mean, my God, we got to just start off right away with wow. Anthony Lynn trying Sharpie. to just steer this ship <laughs> off of the edge of the world, trying to take the SS Justin Herbert down to the bottoms of the ocean to the Davy Jones locker. I don't know why this guy is intent on cannonballing Justin Herbert's rookie setting season, but it's been absolutely ridiculous, my friend. I'm so glad he got the final touchdown, but Lynn just about him got him killed out there on the field before he punched that one in. The record setter, Justin Herbert, uh, and it was an absolute football miracle that the Chargers won that game. They tried to lose it five different ways. But Sharpie, think about how blessed we are. The holiday season is upon us. We had an absolute all-time NFL Monday Night Football classic on Monday night between the Browns and the Ravens. And here we are Thursday night with another absolute classic of its own variety, its own distinct flavor of brown. Uh, but... Uh we kicked it. All I tweeted off. it out. I, <laughs> I tweeted out. I said, tweeting through the Lamar poop game was epic. It's a thrill, but there is something special about tweeting through Anthony Lynn trying to manage a tie game with under two minutes left, icing his own kicker before the kicker then shanks it. And the guy's name is the Money Badger and he trademarks it and he can't hit anything that's important. He's, he's, he's a nine, nine missed field goals leading the league. I mean, he's money at missing field goals. That's for sure. I knew we were off to a good start when the homie Gruden showed up in the Oakland Raiders hat. I mean, let's just <laughs> call it how it is. It's the Oakland Raiders against the San Diego chargers. That's fine. Just, just take it all the way back. Let's make it all old school uh, with, with those two franchises. I feel, I feel like that's the equivalent of just showing up to a, uh, uh, a house party in college and just ripping your pants right off. Just right at the beginning, like this is going to be a party This and it's going to get a little crazy. Well, That's what he did with the Oakland Raiders hat. This game did get crazy. 
How about Marcus Mariota? Now, I, I'm sorry to see Derek Carr get injured. Hopefully it's not, um, you know, a, a, a real lasting kind of issue for him. Uh, but we got to see a whole bunch of Marcus Mariota. And by golly, that dude can play some quarterback, Sharpie. He was incredible. Um, the touch he was putting on his passes, obviously his ability to move about the pocket, evade pressure, uh, throw from a couple different levels and know when to take off and get those yards. I mean, first and foremost, there was absolutely zero way, zero possibility that the Chargers could have had any preparation for that style of quarterback in this game. So that is a major edge. I know it's going to get like very little news discussed, but that's a massive difference between Derek Carr and Marcus Mariota coming into the game. But I couldn't have been more impressed with a guy playing cold, doing virtually nothing. There was no preseason at all this year, obviously. And to come in and play like that week 15 on a short prep week and, and, Looked like he still got it, right? Looked like he still got it. And and look, all jokes aside, Oakland clearly had a game plan, a package designed for him because the design runs that they had all the way into overtime, the overtime drive where they went all the way down the field and then stalled out, uh, the play calling all the way up to the moment when they stalled out was excellent. And the design run calls for Mariota were awesome. And he was super, like all those instincts that he showed us in Tennessee of with the ball going forward. He's a, you know, run, doesn't try and run laterally. He knows where gaps are. I mean, it's, it's, he's got a real skill and talent. And you look around the league, you look around the NFL at all the teams that could use competent quarterbacks. Good on Oakland for spending the money, you know, it was a two year, $17 million contract. And then he had had bonuses, I guess, written in the guys on the broadcast were referencing it for how much time or snaps that he played. And he earned some bonus tonight. He didn't get the full bonus because they didn't win, but good on them for having the foresight to go grab a guy like that. No, absolutely. Um, look, I think this team felt like it was close to being, right up in there, right? Like this was a team that had their sights set. Obviously now they're not. This loss basically knocks them out. Um, so it, it made sense to go after a good quarterback and I'm sure they didn't realize exactly what Marcus Mariota was going to be or hope that they never had to use him. But he certainly uh, was worth every penny of it, at least from an entertainment perspective for what we could see and uh, should open himself up to some, some new opportunities next year. Yeah. If that's his thing, I mean, you know, maybe Oakland uh, in, in the ordinary course will conduct a proper quarterback uh, competition in the preseason. I mean, it wasn't or as even or even Vegas or even Vegas. <laughs> I'm going to keep calling him Oakland. I don't care what you say. <laughs> uh, you know, a couple of the themes of these two teams over the last month and probably the whole season came home to roost. I mean, that that Raiders defense seeing it up close and personal in that way. Holy cow. They can't stop the run and they can't stop the pass. Other than that, you know, you understand why poor Gunther uh, took the chop over the weekend. Um, it wasn't oh, they, like they can't, they can't stop the run unless it's Anthony Lynn calling run plays on first downs. I mean, <laughs> it, it wasn't literally, it wasn't until like the last drive or two of the game that the chargers actually were able to move the ball through, through some chunk runs. Most of the drive, most of their drives were 
passes. Like most of the time they were moving down the ball down the field was through the air. If you look at the final rushing stats, it, it tells the whole story. Austin Eckler, he has one run from 27 yards. The rest of them, he's got 12 for, what is it, 33 yards. That's a terrible average. Kalen Balaj, eight rushing attempts for 11 total yards. Uh, I mean, it was, it was just a disaster on the ground. Meanwhile, Justin Herbert, like I tweeted out the video, the, the, they're talking about, I think Troy's talking about, well, Anthony Lynn, he wanted to get Shane Steichen, the offense corner, back to the run game because the run game is what this th- team needs to focus on this season. And meanwhile, at the bottom of the graphic, it's like Justin Herbert is 10 of 10 for 100 yards and a touchdown so far in the game. And it's just like, what are these people thinking? What are they seeing? Why are we calling run plays? And at the very end, they have run on first down, gains a couple yards, run on second down, gains a couple yards, try to this ridiculous... Uh, they're running like a sprint right option play uh, where they're trying to get the quarterback out of the pocket, I believe. And the pa- he's running right into the pass rush. Like the pressure just coming right at him. It was a terrible thought process on the play. The other thing I didn't understand that same play. And we're talking about the one right before money badger misses the field goal. Yeah. Um, what I didn't understand was it's a, the Raiders called timeout. It was their last timeout of the game. After your second down run, you now have a third down. If you convert this first down, you basically can end the game, run it down low and hope that money badger doesn't kick gack himself. But what ends up happening is they get out of the timeout and they have two yards to go. Fucking hard count, dude. You could get the yards for free. You don't have to pay anything. You don't have to do anything. Hard count. Instead, as soon as they get onto the field, as soon as the ref winds his hand to start the second clock, boom, they're snapping it right away. I mean, he runs right into a sack. It was just the dumbest strategy by that team. I literally think, and I've, I've said this to a couple of coaches, like it is so valuable for you guys to go under some military crisis training. it's it, tra- There is training that the military offers to civilians where you can get, uh, I don't know if it's to civilians, there's courses that you can take that's like former military guys on crisis training and how to make decisions in crunch time and what to do when there's a lot of mental stress and pressure on you. And, uh, and there are some coaches that are handle it far better. And I feel like the chargers time and time again, whether it's Anthony Lynn, whether it's his play caller, they have no clue how to handle these types of situations. It has been like a running joke for, uh, you know, what feels like a, a decade now. I know Simmons has made the joke a whole bunch of times about just getting, you know, a young kid who was raised on Madden who's been through all of these situations and scenarios in the video game and has, has played out the, the, the simulations and, and knows the right call to make. And somebody that's calm, cool, and collected sitting up in the booth, you don't have to be on the field and just radio down what the correct decision is, like the correct strategy call. Uh, and I know I'm oversimplifying, but it's a version of what you're describing because we see this, we've been seeing it for so long, the, the bad decision-making under under duress uh speaking of duress we can't um go through the recap of this game without mentioning poor Trayvon Mullen now I <laughs> the, he, he was overmatched he just could not do anything uh against the uh Chargers receivers without committing a penalty 
I will say the Raiders were owed one because there was a defensive hold that was not that dissimilar from what Mullen was was flagged for several times. And and I can't remember who it was that was, I think it was Aguilar. Aguilar was going down the field. I don't remember the D-back that grabbed him, but grabbed him in just the same way that Trayvon Mullen was grabbing dudes. But poor Trayvon, Trayvon Island was a lonely place tonight, Sharpie. Yeah, it was. And there was a number of things I thought that were um, bad about this game besides just the coaching. Uh, you you had this nasty hit that took Hunter Renfro out oh, of the yeah. game entirely. That was totally brutal. And if the NFL has the balls to come in last year and say, we got to get these hits out of the game. There is no room for this in the game. We are enforcing all of these things. And then you watch something like that where the dude is completely crumpled on the field. It's like three teammates are rolling him over. You could tell he's completely KO'd, not even with it at all. Um, nasty, nasty hit. And they don't even throw a flag on it. It just, it just shows you because there's been a lot of hits this season that would have fallen under those same rules. And the NFL just doesn't care. Just like, hey, guess what? We're going to start set a new rule last year. You could challenge pass interference penalties. And then coaches are challenging them. And the NFL won't accept any of the challenges, won't overturn any of their pass interference. It's like, we're going to let you challenge it, but we're never going to accept any of these uh, and overturn them. And then they get rid of the rule the next year. I literally have no concept of some of these things that the NFL tries to do from a rules perspective. It's like all they care about is public perception at the time, like navigating the waters. And as soon as they feel like something's not perfect, they just ditch it. Uh, instead of improving it, and it was it was a a gross hit. Hopefully he's okay. Um, uh, you know, hopefully he will be. No, it, it was obvious uh, in the moment that he was knocked. I, you know, if not entirely unconscious for you know a couple seconds, nearly unconscious. He was not in in possession of his own limbs there for uh, you know a handful of seconds. I'm glad at least he, you know he was able to walk off the field eventually but your your point is extremely well taken you cannot you know create a new point of emphasis with player safety and then and then have something that egregious occur especially at this point in the season right like you know this isn't week week one or, or week two where uh everything's fresh and and you know we're, we're in a, a no preseason mode there's been enough football by now where the obvious penalties like that, especially ones that endanger players, need to get called, and that was that was the circumstance with that one. Yeah. Plus, this sh- this stuff slows down for the referees, right? It's just like anybody. Like the the more games you're watching and the more things that you're viewing, like at this point in the season, like you've seen a lot, your eyes are adjusted, adapted to it. It's like watching the eight box on Direct TV. The very first time you try to do that, the first Sunday week one of the season, like holy shit, I can't focus on any of this stuff. What's going on here? And by, you know, week four, week five, you're totally settled down and your brain is, is going to pick up what your eyes are giving it. And you could focus on things a lot easier. Same thing with the ref. So you're right. Week 15 of the NFL season, there's, there's no reason that you kind of miss something like that. Um, but no, overall, you know, house, my, my takeaways from this game, second, absolutely outstanding game on primetime of this week. Like it didn't seem like that Raiders Browns game was going to be able to be topped, but this one (laughs) came pretty darn close. If it wasn't for Anthony Lynn and that element to this, 
I would definitely say the Ravens-Browns game was way above this game. Uh, I still think it was because of the of the, the level of overall play in that game. But man, it was fun to see Justin Herbert on national TV. And for everybody sitting at home who's not following the Chargers, you know, they play out on the West Coast and they don't get a lot of primetime games to really see how special this kid is. Obviously throws his 27th touchdown pass as a rookie no rookie has thrown more. He tied Baker Mayfield, but he's got two games left to go. So chances are he's going to set that record himself. Pretty nice record to have as a as a rookie quarterback, especially one who's coached by a coach like Anthony Lynn and an offense coordinator like Shane Steichen. But and, and then of course Marcus Mariota. What more could you ask for from him? Absolutely a st- outstanding performance. Really enjoyed watching him spin it and run it out on that football field. It was a, it was a super fun game. Yeah. That's the note that we want to go in with this, this uh, week 15. We want to celebrate the holidays are upon us. We're treated to two fantastic games this week and we had two uh, great quarterbacks with some really great quarterback play. So let's jump into the pod and let's do this thing. Right. Sharpie. All right, House, let's talk week 14, a little bit of review, but how are you feeling at this point in the season? We're almost to the Christmas break, and right now we had some interesting games last weekend. Give me a little bit of a breakdown. Yeah, yeah, Sharpie. So look, I love this point of the season. We really have been talking about separating the pretenders from the contenders and a little bit of a pat on the back for for us. I think we've earned it. We had a good feel for Buffalo over Pittsburgh, both on a spread basis and, and straight up. And you gave out a bunch of dice angles there and Buffalo really handled their business against Pittsburgh. And I loved the, the, the rest uh, disadvantage that Pittsburgh had there. Of course, the Washington's getting points at San Francisco. That is just too good. And I uh, already said on Twitter, that, that one. I'm, I'm, I'm renaming my firstborn, Son, uh, we're going to work some Chase Young into my son's uh, identity. And then uh, you liked Tampa. How's the mother feel about that, by the way? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not asking her permission, right? This is one where he and I have our relationship and I can, when I introduce him to people, when he and I are together, we can just go around and he'll be who I want him to be or, you know, who he wants to be, right? I'm not going to step on his identity, but he's certainly supports chase young that this, I, this, I this sets, this sets up for, for for some uh, money you're going to be spending for a counselor at some point i think here well that, that i'm gonna have to start winning some bets then <laughs> uh, i had uh tampa we you had tampa lay the points against minnesota that was a good one the one that let us down and i liked this angle quite a bit was the giants the giants getting points at home the giants as an underdog had a great record um, and you know, the question mark there was, was Kyler Murray and, and his health. Uh, and it turned out that Kyler was healthy against the giants. He ran all over the, the, the football field. He got back to his running ways and the giants defense never could get into a rhythm. Arizona did what they wanted to do. And Danny dimes, maybe he should have just stayed home and stayed on the bench because he looked awful. Uh, this past Sunday against Arizona. it was it was it was ridiculous. Look, here's the bottom line. If your quarterback can't protect himself, he shouldn't be out on the football field. We've got an interesting discussion about this later on when we talk about Drew Brees uh, and, and the marquee game of the week house. But 
Daniel Jones could not run the football at all. We know one of his trademarks is breaking off a run here or there when things break down in the pocket. He's been doing that for weeks. That's something that he does. And you realize he had zero rushing attempts. So that was something if you got down on the under rushing yards, which we did, that was a good one there. But he, he had no rushing attempts at all. I think he took six sacks in the pocket, multiple fumbles. This was a guy who clearly and and the the look the Cardinals figured it out pretty quickly and they just kept pressuring him. Um, it was it was foolish. This is not Peyton Manning. This is not you know Peyton Manning without a wheel like he did in the postseason for for one year where he tried to play despite not being that mobile. This is not a guy who a is the is the magician at reading defenses and can figure everything out. This is not some guy with the arm talent and the accuracy and the precision that you just got to have on the field, even if he's in a wheelchair and he can hit everybody within 20 yards, pinpoint precision. He's not getting you into the right plays with his mental aptitude here. This is just a foolish mistake for them to stick a guy like that into the game. And look what happens. He hurts his ankle now. He twists his ankle in the game. He may play. He may not. They're talking about, well, he looked a little better in practice. This was Thursday report today uh, as we're recording this. He looked a little bit better in practice, so maybe he'll be good to go despite a bum hamstring and now a bum ankle. It just makes absolutely no sense. It's not as if Colt McCoy is a fifth round rookie quarterback. Like He can operate your offense. He just went into Seattle and won that game. Very frustrated at the coaching staff for putting Daniel Jones in that position and uh, and really getting him completely rattled and beaten up in that game. Well, I have the Browns going to New York as a potential play this week, but I haven't really sorted out my feelings, and it does have everything to do with who's going to be quarterback. So we are not going to break down that game in today's discussion, but that's one I have circled. I absolutely loved what I saw out of the Browns against Baltimore. On, on Monday night, and I'm worried about the Browns in a letdown spot, but I'm I'm circling that Browns Giants game. Uh, that's a fun Sunday night game, and I'm and, and I'm I'm excited to see whether or not there's some some action to be had. But speaking of action, let's run through super quick what happened in Week 14. So favorites um, had a little bit of a comeback. Favorites went 10 and six against the spread. The over-unders, the unders are coming back strong. They've been coming back strong. They're all the way back. The over-under split now is exactly, by my count and based on the closing lines that we've used, uh, dead even, 100, 108. So that's, that's, you know, uh, as kind of forecasted and anticipated. But the other thing I want to point out, we've been talking about road underdogs as a potential play. Road underdogs last week, Went two and two road underdogs now against the spread for the season, 71 and 53. That's a 57% hit rate. And 47 of those 71 covers have been outright winners. So when a road underdog covers, that team also wins two out of every three times. So something we've been telling folks here on this podcast if you like a road dog to cover, Go ahead and take a little bit, a tiny taste, and put it on the money line as well. Uh, there are eight road dog games this week, three of them with those double-digit lines, and then, then another group out here. You can research them. I won't uh, torture everybody by running through the games, but we are going to talk about a couple of the games that fit this road dog 
situation because um, they're going on my dance card. And I want to make sure that we hit this unbelievable angle. Your uh, uh, colleague, T.A. Cleveland. This is the Cleveland corollary for Road Dog Rewards, Sharpie. And what we're looking for, and he he smelt this out, and, and we've been tracking it for a couple of weeks now. We're looking for road underdogs of six points or less where the total is less than 45 points. And the thesis here is that Closely matched teams in a low-scoring environment with no home field advantage this season. Teams that fit that particular kind of paradigm are now 16-1 and against the spread. And the underdogs have won 10 times outright. So last week, uh, going into the week, that that that, um, particular angle was 15-1. And oh, and it moved to 16 and one because the Patriots went out to LA and got their asses handed to them. The Pats were getting five and a half points as a road dog, and that total closed at 44 and a half. But the Washingtons closed uh, at plus three going into San Francisco, actually, Arizona. The total there was 43, and the Washingtons won outright. So there's only one candidate for this this upcoming week, and that's the Patriots going down to Miami. The Patriots are getting two and a half points as a road dog, and the total there is 41 and a half points. And Sharpie, I'm here to tell you we are going to talk about that game on my dance card, but in a couple minutes because we have a sharp point to get to. All right, this is podcast listener Todd. Todd did not give us his uh, whereabouts, so he's from parts unknown. And podcast Todd, listener- we need your whereabouts. We need to know. It'll help influence our answer, please. <laughs> that's, that's a fact. Yeah, we had some nice Midwestern folks last week. Uh, the guy followed up with an offer for some hoodies uh, in addition to um, wanting to treat you to some cheese curds when we make it to Madison, Wisconsin. But let, let, let's let's get to p- podcast listeners. Send the hoodies. Send the hoodies my way. Yeah, I, I Mr. mean, we'll, we'll Mr. hook Unknown. it up. That that was. I know who that is. I'll I'll, I'll track it down and get it to you. Um. So Todd wants to know: Is it a viable strategy to follow late line moves? Is it always sharp money that's moving the line more multiple points the morning of the games, or can the public have an influence on the lines? Uh, moving on game day, can you track the performance of the money moving side where the mo- line moves at least one and a half to two points right before game time? So uh, that that's kind of interesting. I like this question from Todd. Yeah. So Todd, um, the answer is you're rarely going to see teams that are going to whether side or total move one and a half points right before the game. Now on game day, there will probably be some weeks, a side or two, there's probably going to be a few totals that may have that amount of movement and you could definitely track it. And and one thing that's good to do if you want to start paying attention to this is take a screenshot or just jot the lines down as to where they sit Saturday night before you go to bed, write them all down on a piece of paper in one column and the column next to it, you can write down where those lines are, 30 minutes before the start of the game. And you can see which games have moved the most and 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 who is being bet, what side is being bet. In terms of the public factoring in to moves that substantial, the answer is no. They are the public is never going to move a line on game day morning by 
even a point. You're going to have books that might shade certain things on a Sunday night game, and the public might be able to move at a half a point or so. Um, but it, it is rare that you're going to see public moving things. So oftentimes, I mean, I just tell this to people because everybody talks about on radio shows and TV about, you know, this line has moved and the public is backing this side or the public is backing that side. And it is good to know kind of where the public is, especially where they're very lopsided and there's like really high ticket counts or bet percentages towards one side or another, particularly if the line hasn't moved, like particularly if you've got like 80% of tickets on one side, but the line is just sitting at three and a half, then, then that should provide you a really good indicator of what the book's care about where they want to attract their money. Um, but in general, you are going to see the line moves themselves are coming from groups, syndicated betting groups that have the power and are the and are capable of betting using bots or other uh, techniques to get down on a game at multiple books at the exact same time. And when you're doing that, that's why you see a bunch of books moving at the same time. Your your screen gets lit up uh, if you're using like an odd service and you see the lines move quickly. It's th- Those are 100% of the time from betting groups, not just the public doing something. Well, let's see. I love the recommendation to just jot things down Saturday night. And then when you wake up Sunday uh, and, you know, 12 noon, you're taking a look at the card. Okay, what am I going to bite down hard on? If you haven't jumped on some action, maybe there's something that day you want to get on and you just compare how the numbers have moved and see if there's there's something that's appealing, right? Right, exactly. And one other thing just to note to Todd and all everybody else who's listening, these the betting groups that are making these lines move to this extent Right. And, and, and myself and other guys that I work with, like we can see behind the screen, so to speak, we could see what, where they're betting and, 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 and what they're betting on, but most people can't. So you're just like tracking the line moves. These guys are not like, um, some, some random handicapper in Memphis, Tennessee, who's on a 15 and 0 run in his last, you know, 15 games, uh, betting one game a week. These are guys betting like eight different sides you know, out of 16. And that's completely not recommended to the general public. But these guys are betting a ton of sides, a ton of totals every single week of the NFL season. And they're hoping to hit like 55, 56%. And the amount of money and the amount of spots they're getting down and the amount of volume they're putting into the marketplace, they're going to make a ton of money at the end of the day. So you sitting there looking at these, oh, well, this line moved a point, a point and a half. It must be sharp. Maybe it is. But it must be right and it's going to win. No, it's, it's, you're still talking about games that track them and see for yourself. But just because a game moves, I don't want you to go out at 1230 and just bet every single game that where the line has moved in a certain direction, because uh, at the end of the day, you're probably not going to make anything close to what you're anticipating making. This is, (laughs) there's, Sports lines, uh, odd screens have been available for decades. And if this was like the single way to make yourself rich, uh, believe me, it would be done by many people many times over that, that, that this is not like a long term way to make money. But it is interesting to see where the games are moving and who and, and kind of track it. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I want to jump into this week's actions, uh, uh, week 15. But but before we get there, I want to make sure of something. You you mentioned a potential handicapper who might be 15 and 0 and, and, and resides in, in Memphis, Tennessee. It, it, is Verno hot? I mean, you guys recorded on Wednesday. Are you talking about our boy Chris Vern? Is Verno on a tear right now, Sharpie? Uh, I I I never want to assume that he is not because the man <laughs> is a is a wild man. I mean, he's drawn tiger tattoos on his chest and swinging canes around on national TV. So I don't really know what what I can never really gauge where he is. But this this could be a better in in. Wichita Falls, like okay, as Wichita okay. Falls, so yeah. falls Wichita, you know, I don't yeah. even know. All right, fine, fine, fine. I just didn't know if you were dropping an Easter egg there uh, for, for all the listeners about, you know, trying to get on Verno and start riding his plays a little bit. I mean, the only thing with Verno you got to be careful about is the Cowboys. He's irrational the same way I'm irrational with Washington, but at least. Oh, trust know. me. I, I know. I know. The one <laughs> thing know. about though, there is one difference. <laughs> He hates everybody else in the, in the NFC East. You seem to just be a major fan of Washington, but he has a deep-rooted interest in ensuring the Cowboys win and anybody else in that division can do nothing right and is terrible. Well, I, I understand his perspective, but as I've grown up, I'm a little bit older than him. Um, the 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 more important metric to me is who's helping my my pocketbook, who's helping me in my wallet. And so I'll hold my nose and bet some of those NFC East teams if they're going to help me out. Now, I did bet on stupid Dallas before the season started with to win the NFC East, to 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 win 10 games, all kinds of stuff. I'll never do that again. Dallas can continue to suck. And in a way, I'm happy. I'm that's a that's a worthwhile investment in Dallas sucking is me putting my NFL stink on them uh, and, and getting them out of the way of the NFC East. But we at have one a- point at one point we should before the end of the season, maybe it's before maybe it's during the week 17 pod review some of the things that we did over the course of the season, some of the season long things real quick and do a rundown of where we were right and where we were wrong. That would be something interesting because week 17 is normally a little bit lighter card, less value uh, found on the betting boards there. Um, and, and we don't want to weight down the uh, the right the playoffs with any of that type of talk. But that's, that's some good call. games this week, some good yeah. games this week. Let's dive in. Yeah, let's let's dive in. So the the marquee game that I have circled here, and I don't think it's controversial. It's the Kansas City Chiefs at New Orleans. Chiefs are laying three points. Uh, the over under the total I saw last time was fifty one and a half. I don't know if that's moved at all. Uh, and I have to begin. Nope. I don't. It hasn't moved. So I I don't like to do this, brother Warren. I usually like to 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 get on here and say, okay, here's the rundown from my perspective, and here's the way I'm leaning. But this week, I want to start w- with a question. And I know you, and, and speaking of our boy Verno, Chris Vernon covered it. I still can't get my head around what the hell happened with the New Orleans Saints on Sunday. They were so thoroughly out-schemed, and it's something that we just don't see very often at all with, with Sean Payton. I mean, 
there are certain elements that make sense, right? Like teams have seen enough of Taysom Hill to figure out how to minimize his impact. But how could that Saints defense be so ill prepared that that's the thing maybe was it just a flat spot can can we go over that just just for 10 seconds pretty please well i think i don't know that it was a flat spot but anytime that you're starting a running quarterback for his first game you are building a lot into that game plan the very first time out so the fact that we saw Jalen Hurts come in against the Green Bay Packers the prior week in this third quarter and the fourth quarter and throw some balls down the field in garbage time. There, there was nothing really schemed up for him that week to start the game. This is the plan that we want to utilize to try to find success. They were able to do a lot of work during the week to try to figure out how to optimize Jalen Hurts, how to build some concepts in, some pulled from college that they thought were going to have some success. And it's difficult to prepare for that as a defense. It's always difficult to prepare for a running quarterback. But Jalen Hurts, as you saw, um, there's a little bit to it where, look, it's just it's, the Saints could have played good defense. Jalen Hurts was just making some plays out there on the field. He was hitting some guys with pressure in his face, back shoulder throws with pinpoint accuracy. He was doing some of the things, House, that uh, we were seeing Carson Wentz struggle to do, which is understand when to get out of the pocket and make something happen with your feet or how to deliver the ball on time or throw the ball away. Carson Wentz, as I said last week, I don't know the last time he's thrown the ball away. He's always, if he's holding on to the ball, he's just, doing it so long that he ends up taking a sack and sacks are drive killers. And so there are some things that you could say the Eagles schemed up and surprised the Saints defense with. And there are other things that you could say, hey, he just executed better than they were prepared, even though they were playing a sound scheme and, and had a guy covered. He just executed better than that. And there was a couple big plays along the way, too, that really helped ensure it, including the massively long uh, run by Miles Sanders. Yeah, the the interesting stat that that I saw quite a bit of afterwards was about the streak that New Orleans had of keeping rushing uh, yards under 100 yards. They hadn't allowed, uh, you know, uh, a, an opposing running back or, or quarterback, for that matter, to rush for 100 yards for for some sustained period. And and then lo and behold, both Hertz and Miles Sanders rushed for over 100 yards. Last week, now uh, Sanders got there by way of that one super long run. I mean, the rest of his runs were averaged. I don't even know if they averaged three yards a carry, um, but hurts the design runs for him plus his instincts um, that you just mentioned to get out of the pocket and and run was really impressive. And it it does leave me a little bit of a conundrum with one of the games on the card that we're going to talk about, which is Arizona minus six hosting the Eagles, but let's talk about this Chiefs New Orleans game. Now, a couple things about New Orleans in this position. They've responded well following losses over the years under Sean Payton. They're nine and one straight up in their last 10 games coming off a loss. They're also 12 and three against the spread as an underdog in their last 15 games after a loss. They haven't been an underdog very often since 2015 just seven times have they been home underdogs. They've gone five and two straight up and six and one against the spread in those games. Um, and there's this really weird thing going on with the Chiefs, just talking about this kind of, of trend behavior. 
they haven't covered the spread in any of their last five wins, which is like nearly unprecedented. I've seen a lot of the analytics folks, the trend better folks out there trying to find incidents that, that um, you know, situations that sort of cover this Kansas City pattern of winning games um, by not covering the spread. They've, they've won eight consecutive games, but they haven't covered the spread in, in the last five games. Um, which is probably what an indication of the respect that Vegas is giving um, the Chiefs and the Chiefs' own proclivity for winning games by however much they need to win games by. Is that is that the right conclusion? It's definitely correct. And you have two things at play here. Number one, oddsmakers tend to inflate the spreads on teams that have winning records and are some of the best teams in the NFL late in the season, so they're not as good of values any longer. Number two, you also have the impact of the Chiefs just trying to get wins, right? And at some point, margin doesn't matter. So it allows for some of these other teams to come back in games. And they are just satisfied with ensuring that they're going to win this game rather than meet a certain margin, cover a certain number, and all of those types of things. But they also have problems, right? Their their run defense isn't good. Their run offense hasn't been all that productive. And so it's just naturally inherently harder to close out games when you aren't running for enough yards when you've got a big lead and you're tur- you're giving the ball back at the end of games. So I'm glad you mentioned um, their, their run defense. It's 26th in the NFL. They're giving up over 128 yards a game. New Orleans is has been very good on the ground, averaging over 137 yards a game and outrushing with Taysom Hill at quarterback their opponents by more than 80 yards a game. And when the Chiefs played uh, Baltimore earlier this season, Baltimore lead leading uh, rushing attack, the Chiefs allowed an average of seven and a half yards per carry. So my question to you is, which of the, um, you know, sort of game plans, the prevailing approaches is going to pre- predominate here, right? Are the, is New Orleans going to get out and just try and run, run, run and control the clock and keep Mahomey off the football field? Or are they going to open it up a little bit? Do we know for sure that Taysom Hill is even going to be the quarterback? Where, where do things stand right now as you size this one up? Wow. I mean, this is the marquee game. There's no doubt about it. I think it's the only game this week where you got two teams with winning records going at it. So there's no doubt this is the big game. But man, are there a lot of question marks about availability and different players. It gets no bigger than the question marks surrounding Drew Brees and Taysom Hill. Obviously, the Saints would prefer to have Drew Brees in there. I've heard rumblings that he may be ready to go, and we've seen a couple of hints to it and some some Twitter discussions about it from various different reporters. At the same time, I'm just trying to wrap my head around how this guy comes back as quickly as he did. And I know they said might be out for three weeks and he was out for three weeks, but man, it just seems it seems pretty difficult, especially with where he was throwing the football before the injury. You know, there's got to be a little bit of something compromised with his velocity or the depth of target that he can reach a variety of different things with all those ribs that were busted up. So I don't, I don't really know the correct answer as to whether or not that he plays. Um, but I do know a couple things with regard to what the chief, how the chiefs play defense 
and who might be the better quarterback to utilize here. The Chiefs play man coverage 12% more than the NFL average since over the second half of the season. And Drew Brees against man coverage over that same point in time, look at these splits versus man versus as compared to zone. Against man, he's averaging minus 0.06 EPA against zone plus 0.23 EPAs. Drastic difference. Against man, 6.6 yards per attempt against zone, 7 yards per attempt. Against man, 50% success against zone, 58% success. Taysom is surprisingly the opposite split. He's better from an EPA perspective and a success rate perspective against man coverage. I'm not suggesting Taysom is the better quarterback here, but what I am thinking is that it might not be the worst idea in the world to let Breeze come back when he's fully healthy. If I recall, the Saints are playing on Christmas. We were happy in the pre-show about we have Christmas football this season. We don't have to be dominated by the NBA yet again. And we got the Vikings hosting the Vikings traveling to New Orleans to take on the Saints. I mean, that's in just a few days. That's on Friday. They play this game on Sunday. So if Breeze gets knocked a little bit, like he might miss the next game too. So I, I just don't know as to him. There's also some questions house on the other side of the football as well with the Kansas City Chiefs offense. Primarily, left tackle Eric Fisher has a back injury. Right tackle Mike Remmers has a backslash neck injury. Neither of those tackles, I mean, the key guys protecting Mahomes blindside and frontside, neither of them practiced Wednesday or Thursday. And Fisher started every single game this season. Remmers started ever since Mitchell Schwartz went out. So he's not even the planned right tackle. Mitchell Schwartz is their number one right tackle. Then you got Remmers. Now you're going to have to have another guy come in at right tackle. So it's it's we're talking about missing a couple of guys. Now, it's not as big of a deal as it otherwise would be going on the road to New Orleans. Can, imagine missing both of your tackles with a full crowd at this at where at Mercedes-Benz Stadium now. Yeah. That that would be ridiculous. So at least they don't have to go into that environment, but it's still it's never never ideal to be dealing with that. The the other big question, the final point that I'll make on this game house, um interested to hear some of your takes on it is I'm curious, some of the guys that I speak with regularly are absolutely over the moon about the Saints defense. They love the Saints defense, right? And I respect the Saints defense. I don't think I'm over the moon about them because I look at what who they have played since their week six bye week. And I'm going to first preface this by telling you that they did play Tom Brady once and Matt Ryan twice. And one of those games was without Julio Jones. Okay, So those, those are the two quarterbacks. And those are the only two quarterbacks that they have played that were full season NFL starters last year. Listen to this list of other quarterbacks that they have played since their week six bye. Kendall Hinton, not even a quarterback in the NFL. Jalen Hurts just got his first start in that game. Nick Mullins, Nick Foles, and Teddy Bridgewater. Plus the two games against Matt Ryan, as I mentioned, and a game against Tom Brady. So we are not talking about... the like anybody close to what Patrick Mahomes is doing. And clearly we know that schematically matchup wise, they own 
the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So those games, like we, 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 we know we can understand why there wasn't a lot of production there. And they obviously did well. They beat the Falcons in both of those games, both were games that Taysom Hill started. So I'm still trying to figure out like long-term, the Saints are obviously making the postseason, how I am going to process and evaluate the Saints down the stretch of the end of the regular season into the playoffs, understanding that these are the quarterbacks that they've been facing when their defense has put up massive numbers. Because before that, this defense was allowing 30 points per game. The first five weeks of the season, they played the Chargers with a rookie quarterback, Justin Herbert, whom I love, but he's still a rookie. Week five of the season, the Lions, the Raiders, the Packers, and the Bucks. We know about the Bucks situation. They were giving up 30 points per game all of a sudden, boom, bye week. All of a sudden, oh my God, this is such a good defense. Take into account who they've been playing here. Yeah, well, I I have a whole bunch of thoughts on on. Uh, your observation there, and and I love it when you when you do that when you give us that kind of insight. Like, let's look at exa- exactly who they've been up against. First of all, the Matt Ryan aspect of this, I think Matt Ryan is singularly responsible. Well, no, Dan Quinn is singularly responsible for the lost season that the Falcons have, but Matt Ryan has been an able accomplice. His performance last week against the Chargers. So I actually like tuned in, spent some time. I invested because I liked what we saw out of Atlanta over since, since they fired Dan Quinn, Raheem Morris and, and, and that defense were improved. And I thought, look, Atlanta might fit this category. One of the things that we like to look for and over the years we've done this with Simmons is like, who are some frisky, you know, underdogs who are some teams that through the first half of the season, they basically, you know, wrote themselves out of the playoffs, but might be kind of frisky coming down the stretch. And I thought the Falcons might fit that uh, particular category. The Falcons stink, and they stink because Matt Ryan makes bad decisions and 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 throws the ball poorly. He turned the ball over with 27, 25 seconds left last week against the Chargers on the Chargers' twenty-five yard line, and the Falcons lost the football game because of that. And and honestly, now looking back, the the benefit of of uh, uh, the rearview mirror, I don't think Matt Ryan's recovered from the Super Bowl. I honestly don't. I mean, Shanahan, uh, Kyle Shanahan's departure and head coaching job in San Francisco has contributed to that. But that's a conversation for another time. I don't say, you know, I, I know that that for the purposes of the point you were making, you mentioned Ryan because he was a starting quarterback last year. But that that he he might as well be um, the 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 guy Hinton from from Denver for all the impact. Now that's slightly disrespectful to Matty Ice, but. No, no, it is a little disrespectful, but you're not wrong from the perspective that he's not playing good. I'm throwing him in that category because he literally was one of only only other than Tom Brady as a starting quarterback from 2019 that the Saints have played. But you're right. That last week's game, it's not just the last drive of the game where he throws the interception. This team in the second half, these were their possessions. They had four of them against the Chargers last week. Matt Ryan interception punt, Matt Ryan interception, Matt Ryan interception, game over. I mean, (laughs) who does this? Who, who, how is this even possible for a veteran in the NFL to, to make those types of mistakes in the second half of a game and single-handedly cause your team to lose that game by three points? Well, what happened? Nobody's a bigger square than me when it comes to recency bias. And so when we get to the square game of the week, you are not going to be surprised that I am fading the Atlanta Falcons. But speaking of recency bias, 
I think what we saw out of the Saints defense against the Eagles last week might be the identity of that defense, right? It might be closer to the identity of the defense rather than a world-beating defense that has shut everybody down. I, they absolutely positively have Tampa's number. But the thing that, that still sticks in my mind is their performance last playoffs last year against Minnesota. They came in as a one seed. I thought they were going to the Super Bowl. They just were not up to it. And and it was a scheme issue to me. Minnesota out game planned New Orleans uh, in the playoffs last year. I don't think that I have a strong feeling for New Orleans, even with a fully healthy Drew Brees. They are not. I think that the team that is going to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl this year is coming from the NFC West. Now, I, I absolutely admire Green Bay, and I tip of the cap to Aaron Rodgers, and it's just I can't invest in that defense the way they look right now. It's only week 15. That defense could be better in, in three weeks. I mean, this is the way the NFL operates, but I think the, the, the NFC rep is coming from the NFC West, and I haven't yet decided whether it's going to be the Rams or Seattle, um, but in, in any event, I don't my, – my view on, on New Orleans, they're a little bit – they're, they're, they're better than, you know, Pittsburgh was a fraudulent undefeated team. New Orleans is a fraudulent, was a fraudulent number one. The, 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 the uh, Packers are now number one in the NFC and, and poised to get that by. But um, all having said all that, I still like New Orleans this week against the Chiefs. <laughs> I'm not going to bet this game. I just want to watch it and enjoy it. But I like them at home against the Chiefs. Yeah, no, there there are some um, interesting matchups there. I will say this here. Here's one thing to be aware of. The Saints, I talked about the man coverage that the Chiefs play. The Saints also play man at a very high rate, 24% above the NFL average. And Mahomes splits against man are out of this world. I mean, he's good against zone. I mean, he's good against everything, right? Like he's he's good with play action. He's good without play action. He's good with pre-snap motion. He's good without play pre-snap motion. He's great versus zone. 8.7 yards per attempt plus 0.28 EPA, but against man, those increased to 10 yards per attempt and plus 0.33 EPA. But if he doesn't have the time to throw the football with the pass rush getting to him on account of his tackles being out, which is to be determined as of this time that we're recording, I mean, it's going to make his life a little bit more difficult. He's got to take deeper, deeper, deeper drops, and um, it's it's going to be a great game. But one thing is for sure we may see both of these teams making unique adjustments for their opponents in this game based upon healthy personnel that they have up that they would not otherwise have to make if they met in the Super Bowl and were a little bit healthier, right? Because the Saints may be game planning Taysom Hill up here and they may have Drew Brees by the time if they got to the Super Bowl and played the Chiefs again. The Chiefs may be playing without both of their tackles. Those guys might be back. So it's very interesting to watch these coaches try to scheme up against one another this week. Um, and I'm excited to watch it. Yeah, it'll be cool. And we'll have uh, an opportunity to compare notes and see whether And you not- have the number one pass heavy offense in the Kansas City Chiefs against the number one run heavy offense in the Saints. So these are total opposites. Expect a lot of running when the Saints have the ball against the worst run defense in the NFL that the Chiefs have and expect a lot of passing when the Chiefs have the ball into a strength of this Saints defense, but one that really hasn't been tested by high caliber passing offenses. See Warren Sharp, podcast professional, bringing it full circle. This is what we started off. Which way is this going to go? And it's just a clash of styles and and we'll see which team is able to impose its will 
a hell of a marquee game uh, and in that four o'clock slot on Sunday afternoon. Uh, so that that's perfect. Perfect way to kick off the ho- the Christmas holiday week. Let's talk about some other games. We have a whole bunch of of kind of fun games with um, intrigue and, uh, you know, divisional outcomes are, 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 are still uh, in doubt in, in connection with some of these games. The first game on my dance card, and we referenced it, is indeed Philadelphia going into Arizona. Arizona is favored by six points. And the way I'm looking at this is a teaser. I want to tease Arizona down to even. I think this is a, a, a good spot. Arizona um, wanting to solidify its position to make the playoffs. Um, they have Kyler Murray back in position to, to looking healthy again. Um, I absolutely adore this angle of the 2018 Oklahoma Sooners co- starting quarterback going up against the 2019 Oklahoma Sooners starting quarterback. Super cool. We never see that ever. Um, and, you know, the Eagles are still in the mix for the NFC East title, which is absurd. Um, but we mentioned Connor Murray. Uh, we went into last week's game against the Giants, wondering whether he was still hurt, whether that shoulder injury was serious. He went ahead and rushed around a fair amount against the Giants, much more so than any of the previous um, s- several weeks. And, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing with the Eagles is they're the worst in the league in yards permitted on the ground to running quarterbacks. Um, the Eagles also give up uh, a bunch of rushing yards. They're ninth most in, in rushing yards per game, and they've given up 18 rushing touchdowns. Um, the interesting thing for the Eagles, see, I, I was on the Eagles before, um, you know, I started my the research here. The problem I have now, having done the research, and this is one of the things that you have pointed out to us, it looks like they have so many injuries on the defensive side. It fits what, uh, the Warren Sharp injury cluster, uh, especially the secondary. So they have injuries, Rodney McLeod, Darius Slay, Avante Maddox, uh, McLeod and Maddox are out. Slay is in the concussion protocol for the second time this season. Um, and when those three guys were out of the game against the Saints, that's when the Saints mounted their little bit of a comeback and, and you know, damn near uh, made that game, uh, put that game in, in, in doubt. I think I'm going to just do what I described, which is tease Arizona down and just play them to, to win this game outright but the giant question mark still exists with respect to Jalen Hurts who is he and what's he gonna do what do you think Sharpie well first let me ask you this I'm interested in your process here so you went into the handicap before you researched thinking that you might take the points with the Eagles you emerged with the research wanting to tease the Cardinals down instead is this really a game that is strong enough for you to want to be a part of, number one? And number two, what was the key factor that made you change? Was it like a multitude of things that you just shared? Was it primarily the secondary injuries to the Eagles? What, what was that deciding factor that made you say, not only don't I want to take the Eagles, but I actually want to tease the Cardinals? It, it was indeed um, the, the secondary injuries and also Philadelphia has been bad this year. Oh, and four on the road that Oh, and four straight up and against the spread and their past four 
road games. And, you know, I, I do like the Cardinals playoff position. What, what's at stake for the Cardinals? And I will just flat out confess it when I when I gamble this way, if I'm going to play this game, it's fine for me as a Washington fan for Philadelphia to be out entirely of the NFC East picture and Arizona winning this game outright means Philadelphia is out of the NFC's picture. And I'm happy with that. I got you. I got you. So, um, you a know, my number of one emotion and data as always, cause I'm a square better. Well, no, but at least you're doing the research. And, and so that's, that's very important here. Um, you came up out with one of the big factors here from, from the Arizona Cardinals offensive side. And that is the, all these losses and injuries to players in the secondary for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, and we know that Arizona does like to utilize three wide receivers and spread the field a little bit. Now they sometimes use four, but they're also not just this team. I think people have this impression that this is a team that just never uses two tight end sets or, you know, it's just always in like three, four wide receiver sets. They do use a fair amount of two wide receiver uh, sets. They do use a fair amount of two tight end sets, uh, but they certainly have more wide receivers at their disposal this year. And that is going to strain any type of secondary that's dealing with multiple starters out with injuries. The interesting factor here to me is on the other side of the ball, which is what is this Philadelphia Eagles offense going to look like? Now, last week against the Saints, Jalen Hurts struggled tremendously against man coverage, but was much, much better against zone coverage. Against man coverage, he was averaging only, only 2.9 yards per pass attempt on 16 passes. He averaged only 31% success and minus 0.19 EPA. But against zone, when the Saints played zone against him, 2.9 2.9 yards per attempt went way up to 10.7 yards per attempt. 31% success in man went way up to 67% success in zone and negative 0.19 EPA went all the way up to positive 0.40. So huge splits man versus zone. The problem for Philadelphia is last week, you know how much Arizona used uh, or, or rather played man coverage? 71% of the offense's snap. So Arizona's defense played a ton of man. The NFL average is only 37%. They played it at a 71% clip. They also play man overall 11% more than average over the course of the last half of the season. But the reason I share last week's numbers is to show you against Daniel Jones, they were doing this, that they have the ability to switch on a dime. They will try different things. They'll be a little bit flexible. Some teams always going to play sort certainly in the same tend neighborhood of zone, whereas these guys will take uh, and play a lot more man. But what I'm interested to see is what Philly does to counter that, right? You're going to be faced with a lot of man. They should be aware of that, that Philly, Arizona is going to play a lot of man against you. How does Philadelphia's offense counter that knowing that hurts struggle? Well, one of the things that they could do and they will do, I'm sure, because this is one thing that they like to do is use a lot of two tight end sets, 12 personnel. And historically, I've said this for years, anytime you got a team like the Rams or you got a team like the Seahawks, these are teams that play Arizona often. These teams should be going more 12 personnel. Those teams, those offenses have the ability to play 11. Obviously, the Rams like to. They should go more 12. Why? Because it totally screws up Vance Joseph's defense. Anytime that Vance Joseph's defense 
perceives that a run could be possible based upon pre-snap personnel out on the field, such as heavier sets or play action, they struggle tremendously to stop those passes out of those personnel groupings. The other thing is that they do, which is very rare because the NFL average is way different than this. They defend 12 personnel and we're getting a little bit deep here, House, but it's interesting if you're into this type of stuff. They defend 12 personnel. I'm in. They defend 12 personnel with base on 91% of their first down plays. So you got like nickel where you have an extra DB out there and dime, you got an extra couple DBs out there. Base, you have your base personnel defensively. You have your four DBs and your linebackers and D linemen, but you only have four DBs out there. That's base defense. And they use it at such a massive rate on first downs in particular against 12 personnel. The NFL average is only 59%. The Cardinals are way up at 91%. So the Eagles get them into base, then they can pass out of it from 12 personnel. So there are some things that they could do uh, from that perspective, but this game is definitely, I mean, it's vital for both of these teams. I mean, both like the Eagles, the great, great thing about the NFC East, as much as it's fun to trash that entire division because of their record, the fun part about it is that every single team still has a legitimate possibility to get into the postseason, (laughs) despite them all being terrible. Even the Dallas Cowboys, have a path to get there. And especially you see the starting quarterback for the Giants goes down. You see issues with with um, with uh, COVID and other things popping up. Like there is the possibility that all of these teams have a path. So, uh, and, and with Washington, you got Alex Smith, he's going down. So like everybody's got injuries to, to quarterbacks or somebody. So Philly's going to be coming out playing hard. They want to make the playoffs and so will the Cardinals. Yeah, that's that's the size up that I'm I'm excited to see. And what what you're talking about in terms of that 12 personnel, one of the things I'm going to be doing um if if I decide to play this game is look for props, tight end receiving props for Philadelphia because based on what you're describing, they certainly know themselves and they know how they're going to game plan against Vance Joseph and and maybe like you know if it's a number of receptions or receiving yards for Goddard maybe that that's a a, a prop to, to be looking Goddard, at this week. Goddard was targeted six times last week caught four passes for 43 yards so uh that was what he produced last week he was targeted more than any receiver was on the field okay so there we go there there's a prop nugget and maybe that's the way to play this and I just stay out of the sides all all, all together um, I, I, I could apologize for continuing on with more NFC East, but I'm not going to apologize because this is the Washington football team. And I will, uh, uh, until this winning streak stops and it could be this week, I'm going to keep riding Washington, getting points in these instances that defense showed the world last week out in Arizona against San Francisco just what it is capable of. It was really, to me, it felt like Chase Young's debut on the national stage. I mean, I've been watching them all season long and I've been getting excited as they've coalesced that defensive front four, what they've been able to do in terms of, of pressure, but they, they that was a, a game determinative out, you know, uh, the game deciding kind of level of play out of that front four that their defense there's no question about it the washington defense won that football game and so here we are now um washington's alone in first in the nfc east they're getting five and a half points 
against Seattle. And Seattle, interestingly, huge win against the Jets last week. Not very surprising. But your colleague, Dan Pizzuto, wrote a column a week ago asking, posing the question, have the Seahawks been figured out? It looks like defenses have adjusted to the pass-heavy Seattle offense, and Dan's column explored the success that the Rams and the Giants had in the two previous weeks pre-Jets in slowing down Russ. And what Dan suggested in his column is a combination of a couple different things. One was a play, you know the play of two high safeties rather than one high, and then a mix-up of pre- and post-snap reads throughout the game so you can rotate safeties and disguise pass rushes all with the idea of you know giving russ wilson uh, a whole bunch of different looks maybe causing a little confusion making him a little bit uncomfortable um and i like that angle very much washington's front could be a mismatch for the seattle offensive line but the Concern I have is that Washington in defending downfield targets gives up big plays. Wilson is tied with Patrick Mahomes in touchdown passes on deeper downfield targets. And this is not going to be a game where Seattle sustains long, deep scoring drives. They have to hit on a, a few big plays. So I, I don't have, you know, ultimate confidence. I feel less confident about this game than I did about Washington going up against Pittsburgh, in fact. Um, but what, what what do you see when you size up this game? Um, well, first, it boils down to is Alex Smith going to be the quarterback or not, right? If it's Dwayne Haskins, a lot changes for Washington from an advantageous standpoint before the ball is thrown. Let's pretend that both quarterbacks could put the ball with fairly similar accuracy where it needs to go on a target's body, right? Let's pretend the accuracy is fine. The problem that I have is that it's the timing, it's the throw, it's, it's, it's everything getting to the right play before the snap even occurs. The pre-snap decision-making, reading the coverage, accounting for where Jamal Adams is in the box, making the correct decision as to where the protection needs to go, figuring out who my first read is on this play and can I get the ball to him? And if not, should I? how quickly can I get to my second read? Like Those are the things that Alex Smith mentally is, or at least when we last saw Dwayne Haskins, Alex Smith was far above any of that from Dwayne Haskins. So even if we assume like obviously Dwayne Haskins brings an ability to be a little bit more mobile in the pocket, to take off and run the ball down the field, Alex Smith used to be able to do that. Obviously he's not doing it quite as much anymore or as consistently or as great anymore, but this is where Dwayne Haskins has the advantages on his legs right now, but I'm concerned with those other elements of the game and reading the defense and getting into the right plays at the line of scrimmage. So that's a downgrade from Washington side of the football here. On the other side of the football, you you mentioned it, you know, there are the there is the ability for Russ to hit some bigger plays. They were very explosive early on in the season. That explosiveness has dwindled from this offense to an extent, but you are talking about two 
passing offenses the last couple of weeks that Washington has gone up against in the 49ers with Nick Mullins and the Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger that don't really throw the ball down the field very much at all. Like these are short passing attacks with, with shorter targets. They don't really have the ability. The quarterbacks aren't good at throwing the ball down the field um, and, and having delivering accuracy. Even before that, you were playing Andy Dalton and you were playing um, Joe Burrow, who they got injured, obviously, in the game, unfortunately, was finished for the season in that game. So that's your last four quarterbacks that you faced. When you faced guys that could throw the ball down the field, the most explosive passing offenses that you have faced, Washington's defense has faced so far this year, they have allowed at least 30 points in every one of those games. 30 points to the Detroit Lions and Matthew Stafford. 30 points to Jared Goff and the LA Rams. 31 points to Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. And 34 points to Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns. Now, there's some negatives about all of those. Like, obviously, against the Cleveland Browns, you Dwayne Haskins gave up a ton of short fields. And I think on four of the five touchdown drives that that Cleveland had, it was because they started those drives on short field. So some of these points may, you know, can not necessarily be expected in this matchup here. And I do think you guys with your pass rush will be able to get after Russell Wilson. And he does hold on to the ball a lot longer than did Ben Roethlisberger. And so that's why I think Chase Young was able to have a better game against the 49ers because Nick Mullins is holding on to the ball a little bit longer. And that's something that Russell Wilson does as well behind center. So your pass rush needs to be the difference in this game to get the Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson off kilter and time and in off rhythm from a passing perspective. I think this game has the potential to be a, a great game. I'm just so intrigued to see how Dwayne Haskins looks and how he executes. Yeah. If it indeed ends up being Haskins. Right. Now, some of the word that I'm hearing here in Washington is that Smith is going to give it a go, but him giving it a go doesn't mean that he'll be in the entire game. And hopefully um, there's a plan A, plan B uh, for the Washingtons with with both quarterbacks. And Haskins looked uncomfortable against uh, San Francisco last week. I mean, he really couldn't get anything going, but he was just sort of pushed in there. He wasn't running with the first team all week long, uh, and he hasn't played football <laughs> in, in eight weeks, nine weeks, ten weeks. So um, not surprised to see him uncomfortable but the two I realize I realize let me just interject I realize that Alex Smith may technically be capable of standing in the pocket and throwing the football and this was kind of where I was what I was talking about before with Daniel Jones it's like Alex Smith is far more veteran than Daniel Jones. So he can read defenses. He can get you into the right place. He can get the ball out quickly. Like all of those things he could do probably better than Daniel Jones. But Let's just let's just not. I know you're in the playoff hunt, but let's not rush a guy back, especially with Alex Smith's injury history, to let him be a sitting duck in the pocket. Like if if we can't protect him, we need to quickly get him out of there and and put Dwayne Haskins in there because the last thing we need to see this season is Alex Smith getting injured in a more serious manner. I do want to get your thoughts on this next game. I absolutely am going to gamble on this next game. I have. A, a strong opinion on the side and on um, the, the play that I want to make. And I'm going to begin with this. The game is New England getting one and a half points at Miami. Now, uh, the, the line opened, I think, at Miami minus uh, three or, or two and a half. No, that's correct. It opened at three at most spots, three even money at some others. But yes, it was three pretty much across the board. So we're all the way down to New England 
uh, getting only only one and a half. Uh, now I don't think it's because of the TA Cleveland uh, close game corollary. I don't think it's because we're doing road dog rewards, right? The game, the America's gambling public isn't out there looking at road dog rewards for this game. It certainly fits that category, though. Um, this is uh, the Patriots to me getting an extra three days to prepare because they had Thursday nighter last week and Bill Belichick, when he has extra rest, when he has at least eight days rest, 21 and four straight up 18 and seven against the spread. Now we did finally get to see Tua cook a little bit last week. They were down 20 to the chiefs in the second half. They had to open up the offense and he had his first 300 yard passing game pair of touchdowns uh, with his arm and a, and a rushing touchdown. I love Tua. Let Tua cook. I'm I'm excited for it. The problem is, and this is why I'm on New England. It looks like right now Tua is going to be without virtually all every skill player. Devontae Parker and and Gasecki both left. Uh, Mike Gasecki, the tight end, left last week's game. Um, Jakeem Grant is uncertain with a hamstring. Um, Parker, Gasecki, and Grant. Those are the only Dolphins players with more than 288 receiving yards. This season, running back situation is is equally messed up. They across the board at every skill position are playing with second tier, third tier, fourth tier options, and I just can't. You know, I I've been been very impressed by Miami. I mean, they covered the spread again last week, uh, eight and one against the spread in their last nine games, but w- without all of those skill players on on offense I, I just can't get by Miami my play this week is to tease the pats from the one and a half up to seven and a half so I get through the three and the seven and I'm gonna bet the pats money line because as we were talking if you're gonna do anything on the road dog go ahead and get a little money line and the money line right now is anywhere between 110 to, to 120 I saw it all the way up at plus 124. Uh, at one place, but you know, that's plus money on the, on the money line plus, and then, and then the tease leg with the pats. Um, how are you sizing up this game? Well, you're, you're not wrong to start with discussing the injuries to Miami. I will note pulling up the Thursday practice report that Mike Gusecki somehow did get in a limited practice today after not practicing on Wednesday, but that still does not mean that he's going to go this week. That's to be determined. Um, and you've definitely have Devonte Parker with the hamstring. He's got in two limited practices. I know they know how big this is for their postseason, right? Miami, it's big. They're fighting for the a wild card spot. Uh, they still have an outside shot at winning the AFC East, playing Buffalo in Week 17. So this is a game they, uh, that could help them get into the wild card round as a as a or or just win the whole darn AFCE. So it's massive for them. The key uh, to this game beyond the injuries towards the Dolphins is Bill Belichick going up against a rookie quarterback with extra time to prepare. And Belichick has a tremendous track record in these spots against rookie quarterbacks and even without extra time to prepare. But he obviously does have extra time to prepare after getting uh, after losing that game to the Rams on Thursday night the other week. Um, If you look at the other thing here, what do we know about the Patriots? The Patriots are not getting a good year out of Cam Newton. They are terrible passing the football. They don't have skill position players to catch the ball. And Cam's just been just abysmal. Let's put it bluntly. 
the fifth worst pass offense in the NFL. Guess what? Miami's great defending the pass. They're the fifth best pass defense. So that's a weakness for the Patriots on a strength for the Dolphins. You don't really want to attack that anyways. The part you can attack for Miami is the run defense where they rank 10th worst in the NFL, despite playing the fourth easiest schedule of opposing run offenses. And now you have a run heavy New England Patriots offense that is the ninth most efficient rushing attack in the NFL. They run the ball the 10th most of any team in the NFL, going up against the 10th worst run defense in the NFL. That really hasn't been tested by too many good rushing attacks. So I think this is a big edge for New England, presuming that they can keep Miami's offense down and Belichick puts in the work to figure out a way to slow down Tua and and without Gaskin and with some of these other receiving options weakened, you know, you are going to hopefully get a close game, which will allow the Patriots to not have to just drop back and predictably pass the football, but be able to run it. And I think that's what you're hoping for as a Patriots backer, which would also lend to the clock ticking, lower scoring game, teaser, low scoring total, uh, low total to begin with, lower scoring game, points are worth more, crossing the three and the seven. Seems like a great, great teaser leg to me. Road dog rewards, Warren Sharp. That's what we're going for here. And we'll, we'll see how it, how it all plays out. But it, it does line up pretty nicely. Uh, and I'm glad you mentioned that, that uh, aspect of Belichick with time against a rookie quarterback. I mean, he, he just, you know, even with the added intrigue of going up against Brian Flores, who is, who is terrific and will know everything there is to know about uh, tendencies for, no, for New England. Um, I, I just like, you know, this is the father and the son. I like the father in this in this instance. Luke. Luke. Luke I am your father. <laughs> All right. So a couple more games. Uh, we're, we're squarely on the square part of the card now. And I want to try um, a square teaser on you before we get to the square play of the week. Last week, you and I had a little bit of dialogue. We, it didn't make it into the show because we were talking for too long. But we... we, we Talk through a square teaser of the week when, and who blows this. This is like the most obvious teaser out there on the dance card. What is a, what's America's teaser going to be? And last week, that that America's teaser was the Chiefs, the Packers, and the Saints. And the Chiefs and the Saints came through. I mean, the Chiefs and the, and the Packers came through no problem whatsoever. Uh, you know, because those teases went all the way down to like minus one or minus two or, you know, maybe even pick them. And then the Saints were also teased down and the Saints went out and blew it against the Eagles. And so America lost and the books all collect a lot of money. I have another square teaser for you. Uh, and I want to know who blows this. The square teaser of the week, Tampa, you can tease from a minus six down to pick them. The Packers, you tease from minus eight and a half down to minus two and a half. They're home against Carolina. And I'd like to tease the Colts from uh, seven down to one. They're at home against Houston. This is a very obvious teaser. You get plus odds, plus 160. If you bet 100 bucks, you win 160 bucks on this three-leg teaser right here. Um, I very quickly, uh, rationale-wise, um, I like the Packers only needing to win by a field goal. I think Carolina's going to cover this this week. Um, Carolina's been very good with Teddy Bridgewater, um, with with uh, uh, you know where the line is is above 
seven. Teddy Bridgewater historically covers, uh, um, you know, as, as an underdog. He's been very good. Um, Indy uh, at home against Houston. Indy's running game has been terrific uh, the last three weeks. Jonathan Taylor has turned into the player everybody hoped he was going to be. And then Tampa as a pick em home, I mean, at, at Atlanta, uh, I'm going to go through um, all the reasons that I intensely dislike Atlanta when we get to the square play of the week. But I, I think Tampa is is in a position to really solidify its playoff position and rationale-wise for this square teaser of the week, that is uh, uh, sufficient. Um, out of those three obvious, obvious, obvious legs, who's going to blow this teaser? Well, look, one of the things that obviously happens late in the season is you got teams that are vying for playoff positioning, vying for playoff seeding, making the playoffs or getting a better seed. And the point spread gets inflated against these teams a little bit. And not necessarily week 15, but certainly week 16 and week 17, there are going to be spots in these must-win games that are pretty obvious to most people out there. And it gets talked about all week long. And those are teams that you may want to get the extra point that the bookmakers are giving you and fade them in those key spots. And you've picked three teams that wins will absolutely help their ability to make the playoffs and or improve their positioning um, in these games. I have some things to talk about with regard to Atlanta, Matt Ryan splits versus man versus zone. And the fact that Tampa Bay plays zone 10% more than average, and then Matt Ryan has been terrible against man coverage, but much better against zone. We're talking 8.2 yards per attempt versus zone and 6.9 against man, 53% success against zone and only 39% success against man. The other key factor for this game, a little tidbit for the history buffs among us, Raheem Morris is the interim coach for Atlanta. Do you know who? He was actually a head coach with that fired him is Tampa Bay. He got, he coached there from 2009 to 2011. He was a defensive backs coach for a couple of years before that. They promoted him to head coach and he was there from 2009 to 11. And then he was fired, got jobs with the, with the Washington football team currently at, well, at that time, the Washington Redskins. And then he's been with Atlanta ever since now. He's got an opportunity to take over this job and prove himself against a team that once fired him. I'm sure he's going to be jacked up to get this win and ruin some things with uh, with Bruce Arians and, and the Tampa Bay Bucks season. I was on the Colts when they played the Houston Texans in that game two weeks ago, week 13, down in Houston. I was on the Colts money line in that game and in, as part of a money line parlay, I believe. And I'll tell you what, Deshaun Watson drove that Texans all yeah. the way down. And I could not believe a, that Frank Reich wasn't calling timeouts, but B that they fumbled the ball because I was, <laughs> I was just ready to rip up my ticket because I knew that this team was going to go in there, get a touchdown and leave the Colts with like 20 seconds and the ball to have to march back down the field. So I was, I was, I could not believe that he fumbled that football there. Um, but this is a, this is a, a game where you would absolutely think that the Colts are going to have a lot of success running the football. They're playing really well. They're also using a lot more 11 personnel than they have in the past. Um, usually this Frank Reich likes to use two tight end sets. Historically, they've been using a lot more 11 and the Houston Texans defense stinks against 11. They're without one of their key cornerbacks. Um, and the last one, look, 
I will tell you this. You can look at the line. You can look at where it opened. It opened at nine, nine and a half for the Green Bay Packers as home favorites, primetime Saturday night football. And where is this now? It's down to eight, eight and a half at some spots. And that is because it is a very sharp play this week, the Carolina Panthers. But I will tell you that even though I would not be interested in laying the Packers with these points, teasing the Packers down to just have to win this game is something that is quite attractive. The win does not look to be a factor up there in Green Bay. And why is that important? Because the we just saw Drew Locke, who throws deep at the highest rate of any quarterback in the NFL, but is typically absolutely terrible doing it throw for multiple touchdowns against this Carolina Panthers defense that was playing well above its heads to start the season has really come back down to earth of late. The second quarterback on the list who throws deep at a higher at the next highest rate is Aaron Rodgers. And typically he's much better hitting those passes than Drew Locke is. So I do think it would be very surprising for Green Bay to lose this game. I probably will be incorporating Green Bay into some teasers. I just want to share that Carolina is a very sharp side for a full game play from some of the sharpest guys out there. I love it. So you didn't really throw up on any one of those teaser legs. I understand your concern with Tampa. And let's go ahead and wrap up uh, the show with my square play of the week, which is indeed Tampa minus six at at Atlanta. And you touched on some of the considerations. Uh, we're not going to, I don't have the chargers available for my square play of the week. Cause they're, they're that game's already in the books and I can't touch the jets getting 17 and a half at the Rams. I mean, the only way to, to do anything with that game, I have to borrow money from a rich uncle or, or maybe, you know, a, a, a college buddy who sold his media company. I don't know, but the Rams money line is minus 1800. So if you want to win 300 bucks, you got to find somebody that's going to lend you $5,400. And I don't think I I can, (laughs) I can pull that off, even though it is the giving season. I don't, I just don't know who who I can call for that. Um, So I'm going to go against the Falcons because I'm petty and I'm short-sighted, which are two very important uh, attributes as as a square. And I'm going against the Falcons because Matt Ryan served up a Ryan Ramrod last week uh, <laughs> it, it, out in, in uh, uh, Chargerville. I, I love calling the Chargers San Diego, even though I know they're not. Um, and I'm going to shout out my guy, Raheem Palmer. Me and Raheem were on <laughs> the, the Falcons last week. But Matt Ryan, you went through this earlier in the show. He's just gross. The fourth quarter interceptions were absolutely inexcusable. And they're they're, you know, there's there's nothing other than poor judgment and diminished arm strength. Now, the funny thing in looking at this is the Bucks, as we know, have been all over the place. It's borne out. The football outsiders have the Bucks as 32nd in the entire NFL in DVOA variance, which means they are the least consistent team in the NFL. And it all boils down to Tom Brady. Uh, only three players in the league have more touchdowns than Tom Brady's 30 touchdowns, but he's 25th in completion percentage. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, you know, obviously the, uh, Falcons without Julio Jones. And it looks like he's going to be out again this week. I haven't seen him practicing. Um, He has Calvin Ridley as his go-to guy. um, And Ridley's been really good, but you know, the Falcons have been bad against the pass. They've allowed the third most passing yards, the second most passing touchdowns, the fifth most total yards on the season. 
So I'm just going to go ahead. The, my square play of the, of the week is the Bucks minus six going into Atlanta. You want to talk me out of it? Yeah, I don't like it. I, I can tell you that much. But <laughs> okay. all I will all I will say is that um, I was hoping that we would see even more out of Tom Brady and Bruce Arians making adjustments during the 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 bye week. We saw a little bit of it, so I'm not completely discouraged. I was hoping we would see a lot more of it. Um, we we'll see they're without their number one running back. So I guess they're going to, they, they made Leonard Fournette a healthy scratch last week. I guess Leonard Fournette is going to carry the load because number one running back has COVID. Uh, and so he's not going to be playing this game. But if you do look at who Tampa has played the last couple of games before the game against the Vikings, which let's be frank, the Vikings completely blew that game. The, yeah. the, the missed kicks, but beyond just the missed kicks, it was the philosophy, the lack of, pace in the second half. I mean, I said this on the Wednesday show, so I'm not going to repeat the full on rant, but how the hell do you average only 7.8 yards per play in the second half down 17 points? I mean, it made no sense how slow the Vikings were driving the football there. But prior to the Viking game, we're talking about a Bucks team that just played the Rams and just played the Chiefs. Now, you can make some money betting those two teams to meet each other in the Super Bowl, like that exact matchup. And it's yeah. not that far fetched. Yeah, that's I'm with who you. the that's who the Bucks just played prior to their bye week. So the Falcons, no doubt about it, are a massive step down in competition. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how the Falcons choose to rally and come back here after losing to the Saints and then losing to the Chargers, two very close games. Will they bring it home against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and, and play their ass off? Because this is their last home game of the season. They play at Kansas City week 16, at Tampa Bay week 17 in a rematch of this game that they're about to face. Last home game. We'll see how they do. Okay. Well, it is. Uh, I only have three more tries at a square play of the week. So I'm going to go ahead and ride in with this one. Although I am worried about your revenge angle. Your Raheem Morris revenge angle does have me slightly concerned. But look. It's another beautiful slate. We have all of this football in front of a Sharpie, two Saturday games, a nice slate of, of afternoon games, a marquee game. Not that nice. Not that nice. I well, will put that we, on record. We have them. What do you mean? You don't like the games? No, but there's no reason that there's eight one o'clock games and only three <laughs> late afternoon games. So we once have again, Saturday, the trade-off is Saturday, buddy. We do, but give me seven or fewer one o'clock <laughs> games, spread out the fours. But otherwise, yes, there's very competitive games, some really interesting home underdogs this weekend. I think it's going to be a great weekend to watch NFL football. Yeah. And then Sunday night and and, and Monday, and we're rolling right into the, the holiday week. And don't forget Sharpie uh, and everybody listening, each of the next two weeks, week 16 and week 17, it's going to be a Tuesday recording. So these are up late Tuesday, early Wednesday for your holiday consumption. Okay, my friend. Uh, thank you as always. Another beautiful array of, of delicious items for everybody on their betting menu as we go into some holiday food season. What's what's on the sharp uh, holiday food menu? Is it too early to talk about it? It is, it is way too early. I, I, I don't even know what's for dinner tonight. So. <laughs> Me either, actually. I'm, I'm starving, too. All right, let's end this sucker and let's go eat. <laughs>